Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 68. I hope you're all doing well. I'm so sorry about the lockdown for those of you who are in lockdown currently. Uh, I hope that this episode is at least a small distraction for you. My guest today is Ambrose Kenny-Smith from the Murlocs and King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And we chatted a few weeks ago um, while Victoria were in lockdown. So we had a nice remote chat and I talked about the Murlocs new album, Bittersweet Demons, which just came out on the 25th of June through Flightless Records. Go check it out. It's available everywhere and it's amazing. Ambrose and I chat about the making of the album, about recording and touring harmonica, which I knew nothing about. We talk about his first influences, how he joined King Giz while he was still in high school, and what he's been up to while his usually very busy bands haven't been able to tour. His strange show experience was illustrated by Million Many Miles. Go check out more of their work on Instagram at million many miles. It's fantastic. And remember, if you'd ever like to have a go at illustrating any of my guest stories, please get in touch with me. I'm always looking for people. Uh, you can reach me on Instagram at hearsay podcast, which is where you can also see all of the previous illustrations of uh, guests that I've had on uh, or on the hearsay Facebook page. Um, rate and subscribe to the podcast if you want to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps the podcast a lot, helps people be able to find it. Uh, so without further ado, here is episode number 68 with Ambrose Kenny-Smith. going with this lockdown um yeah just keeping busy just working on tunes and you know keeping sane that way yeah I feel like so many of my friends in Melbourne have had a much harder time this time around yeah have you felt that as well yeah for sure I guess just because we um we're just gearing up to you know do a bunch of shows soon and oh. yeah you know it's life it's just the way it is Adapt yeah, everything's to getting derailed. Mm-hmm. It's fucking shit. I've had so many fun things cancelled and it's hard not to talk about it. Like I know it's a bit boring, you know, everyone has a COVID chat, but I just feel sometimes you feel so deflated. You almost feel like you don't deserve to look forward to something because it's just going to get pulled out from under your feet. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. I'm just grateful that I've got music or some sort of creative outlet to distract myself with it, I guess. Yeah, well, let's let's talk, go straight into music. You've um you've got a new album coming out. That's so exciting. Yeah, it is. It's been a long time coming. We finished it. It was being mixed in like March last year, as as COVID started to pop off. So oh man, yeah, it was a bit of a bittersweet, eh? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> was it just on hold to find a better time to release it or did you have to wait for mixing or? Yeah, it was all being mixed through like correspondence through the internet, yeah. I guess, um, with John Lee, who's, uh has his studio just in Coburg. So it wasn't too far from me. So it was pretty funny. We, um, <laughs> That's such a bummer. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty um, weird. But yeah, we we got there. He did an amazing job on the record, the whole, um, yeah, 
the mix he did overall was just really brought it to life. And yeah, and then from there we had it mastered and yeah, we were just sort of doing video clips in between lockdown breaks, you know, just yeah. sort of touch and go and just winging it. But pretty lucky to punch them all out in those little moments we had. So good you got to have a break from lockdown at all and get stuff done. But it must have been re- really weird mixing through correspondence. I've never done that before. I've always been in the room. Yeah. Was it m- more difficult to communicate what you wanted? Um, I guess we've always sort of, oh, not always, but on the last, the last Manic Canned episode, the one before that was mixed um, by Jarvis, uh, this dude over in New York. Uh, yeah. So that was, yeah, sort of here and there. So it wasn't too out of um, comfort zone, but um, yeah, it wasn't ideal either. But yeah, I'm pretty, I'm really glad with how it turned out. Couldn't have turned out any better. Be it sounds so good. I mean, I've I've only listened to the three. Is it just three songs that are out from the album? Mm-hmm. I've, I've yeah. listened to "Eating at You," Francesca, and "Bittersweet Demons." Yeah. Um, I was so excited to in your um in your press release or your bio, you talk about Pussycats, the Nilsson and John Lennon mm-hmm. record. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that record so much. Yeah, how good is it? Yeah, that's like the record where he totally blew his voice, isn't it? It's mm. like that. That was sort of almost the beginning of the end. Mm, yeah. Why did you pick that as like a a reference? Um, I was just listening to a lot of the Plastic Ono band record by Lennon, and then um, was just started listening to Pussycats as well, and amongst other things in that same realm. And yeah, it was just sort of perfect for what I was going for because I was sort of listening to it as I was writing a lot of those songs on piano as well. Because I, I think that album's quite druggy, isn't it? <laughs> did you have those Yeah, yeah. You have those undertones too where you were like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's that like funny little drug um, joke on the cover, isn't there? Have you seen that? I'm not sure. No, I haven't looked too close into it, I guess. Um, there's a rug on the front cover and then there's two toy blocks. And one of them says D and the other one says G. So it looks uh, S, sorry. So it spells drugs. On the <laughs> front. I've never noticed that. <laughs> wow. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a super druggy album. But it's also <laughs> like, I don't know, I guess when, when I was listening to that record again, because I, I was so excited to see it, I, I listened to it again. Um and I was listening to your album, I really do notice like that sort of playfulness and more experimentation than, you, than you've done on your last record. Did, is that why you related to that Nilsson and Lennon record? I guess just sonically, just everything about it was just what I wanted to go for. I've just been obsessed with for years, doubling my vocals and putting delay and stuff on them. So that from the beginning was something that attracted me to it and just he always just picks the best covers as well and um yeah and it just the vocal performance and all of it is just was so up my alley um yeah so that was just everything I wanted in a nutshell really for the album yeah well it's like a it's like a vulnerable time for him I think where you know shit was starting to go south a little bit or he was like partying too hard Mm. the cracks were starting to form Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about like when I was thinking about his voice and you've got like such a um, sort of beautiful, clear voice as well, especially when you're singing high. How do you how do you look after your voice when you're on tour? 
I guess uh, in 2019, we did like a proper run of tours for Murlocs. We, over the years, because I've been so busy with King Gizzard, I've never had proper tours, like shows after show back to back. So yeah. I, we did Europe in like February 2019. And, you know, I sort of realized that my limit is probably like four, maybe five shows in a row. Because yeah. by that point, because I just sing so hardcore the whole time. Um, I would just start to lose my voice and I would have to, most shows I just wouldn't be able to talk afterwards to fans or anything. Oh, so no. I felt like a fair arsehole because I was just trying to reserve <laughs> my vocal cords. But I I had, I got um some singing lessons before going into the American tour sort of after that and leading up to the Europe one uh, with um, a like family friend of of mine who um she's, she's actually a backup singer for john farnham oh wow so she's like yeah she's a full powerhouse so she gave me a bunch of tips just to sort of warm my voice up before um yeah going on and just little tricks of the trade i guess to not blow myself out what else did she teach you um it was mainly just a few little pointers like that i did a, a couple where it was just like yeah just warm-ups and warm-downs and stuff so I wouldn't just be dead every night because I was finding myself, because I, I was singing a lot of the time, I sing from my head too much rather than my gut. Um, yeah, so I, would, I do that as well. Yeah, so I would end up finishing shows and just be like in the hotel upside down doing headstands trying to get the blood oh, to man. like ru- rush back in because I just oh. have these insane headaches and migraines and there was moments where I'd, throw up on stage or afterwards because it was just so painful really from singing too hard yeah and just constantly i guess and like playing harmonica as well i'm not really getting much breaths in you know do you have to work on breathing and lung capacity and stuff if you're doing like intense singing and harmonica playing yeah yeah for sure i guess so just um I'm still trying to figure out better ways to do it but yeah as i said i've never really had we've never really had a huge window to really smash out enough shows to see how far I can push it. But 2019 was a good testament of that. Um, so yeah. by the time we got to the American tour, I made sure there was a, a few breaks in amongst it so I wouldn't, yeah, kill myself. Oh, that's good. And I imagine that, like, you know, not talking, even though it seems rude, <laughs> mm. is, like, prob- possibly the only way to get through it. Yeah, more or less. And and I would have foe pretty much every every night. Like go and get solo soups and stuff. Oh, it's <laughs> such a sad existence. Nah, it's a great <laughs> it's like existence. Like the opposite of party times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> oh, I'm still party. I just got to pick my battles. Yeah, I always feel like as you get older, you you know the places you like to eat around that area. Mm-hmm. You know, I want my own bed. I like you can't sleep on people's couches or floors anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all about like. Yeah, looking after your voice, not drinking, uh, going to bed early. <laughs> it's like such a different thing when you get a bit older to like touring when you're 19, 20. Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember I did back-to-back with Murlocs and King Gizzard in like 2015 oh, yeah. or something overseas. And that was – back then it was it was hard, but it wasn't – like there's no – I don't think there's any way I could probably do that now to that extent because um, yeah. it was just, just kind of too much. But, yeah, I, I guess because in Gizzard I don't – get to sing as much so it's the touring side of it's a lot easier for me but Merlox is like a huge workout mentally and physically. I mean you you really 
belt out those songs like and you sing so high on so many songs um <laughs> it must be really hard not to go into your head voice when you're singing high yeah i guess now with this new record i'm singing a lot quieter on a few songs and stuff because i'm just sort of when we do the old songs i'm just like oh why did i put myself in that position yeah. <laughs> now it's just really hard to <laughs> pull off every night um so yeah i'm glad that the repertoire is getting a bit more laid back <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think about like when you're writing a record, do you think about how it's going to translate live? I guess so. Um, a few of the guys in Murlocs are, are pretty like timid about experimenting and adding layers and being able to pull it off live. So we've never really gone too far out of, you know, our restrictions in that sense. But this record's been, was good. It was, I managed to convince you know, it was mainly it's mainly our guitarist Callum. He would always be like, "Oh, how are we gonna do that? What? What's? Why should I do this guitar <laughs> harmony? Because I'm never gonna be able to do it live." It's like, who cares? It's sick. Like, <laughs> just yeah. do it different. Yeah. But I'm totally. also in a band like King Gizzard that just does songs completely different to the record all the time. So yeah. it's good to have the balance and you know the best of both worlds you just can't do stuff without backing track if you want to do it exactly the same as the record yeah um you know unless you have like a million people i always find that because i've like i play keyboards and i always have like at least 20 synth tracks on my records (laughs) which is (laughs) you know i just can't help myself and then when i try and do it live i'm like well it's gonna sound really crap if i've just got one synth track or if I try and play it on guitar yeah sometimes I just play it on guitar and then it's completely different yeah somehow that makes it better than trying to recreate what you what you did on the record yeah I think a lot of the time it's cool just you know doing things different and making them you know completely opposite in a live sense it's all right if it sounds more rocking or you know or weaker you just sort of do things differently cut things out or adding things. Um, I I got a Malatron recently, so that's <gasps> been handy at like to, you know, with all the strings and other stuff that we yeah. added. I've been able to play those and sing and stuff, which is cool. Do you take that on tour? Like, is it one of those new repro ones? Um, yeah, it's one of those new like micro Malatron yeah. things. Um, but yeah, it, oh, it's been good. yeah, it's been really doing the trick for a few of those parts. That's great. And it's such a classic sound as well. You can't sound mm. bad when you're playing a Mellotron. Yeah. And it's good because i got the small one, so it's, it takes up less space on the stage. I can sort of just have it to my side, you know, yeah. and yeah. Do you take a thousand harmonicas on tour? Um, <laughs> I take uh, I take every major key um, that I play pretty much. Um, but yeah, there's not really many sharps or flats anymore in the set. Uh, yeah, it's all pretty much just those ones. And then I have, I always seem to blow out the fourth hole on the D harmonica for some reason. Oh, a few weird things mean? like that. I think it just means I'm not very good or not really know how <laughs> to play it properly still. I didn't even know you could blow out a hole. <laughs> yeah. I think it's from years of like trying to, you know, hear myself and play loud enough right. to compete with all the noise on stage. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. And just pop reeds and stuff. Yeah, I'd never thought about like blowing, blowing the instrument. Mm, and because they're just small little metal reeds, sometimes they can't take too much pressure. I guess you're saying that you don't play in many like sharps or flats, but I was reading, or maybe I was listening to you talking about um, King Gizzard having like an F sharp 
like an F sharp thing going on with like micro scales. Yeah, yeah. What do you do in that in um, that circumstance? I got a I've got a couple um, harmonicas made to the microtonal scale that we use in King Gizzard. Oh. Yeah, so I have a, a family friend in New South Wales, Neil Graham, who makes harmonicas, custom harmonicas. So he yeah yeah he made me the first one. So I was able to play on that first record. Um, so it was all a bit of a race oh, race for time because we're sort of creating the scale and or whatever or like figuring out how I was going to play different parts on the harmonica to match the guitars and stuff. So Yeah. Well, can you do microtonal scales on a harmonica? Yeah, yeah. Just you can't really bend the notes and stuff. It's, it's more just the open harp right. style, you know. It's not proper like blues harp stuff so yeah yeah there's there's always limitations in the harmonica but i've been i've I've always been wanting to try and get into chromatic harp it's such a different ball game though it's so much harder and technical but yeah that'd be cool to get into that because then you you kind of got free reign but um yeah bending notes and stuff isn't either really much of a thing like i guess you can do it but Unless you're like Stevie Wonder or some something. <laughs> There's still time, man. Oh, you can I don't do know. It. I think I'm out of time. <laughs> Maybe another couple of lockdowns. Yeah. Well, speaking of harmonica, though, and, and this might be a bit technical, but I always imagine it must be tricky to record in the same room as everyone because would you just get a lot of bleed into your mic? Mm, yeah, there's always bleeds. So I've always been an overdub guy. Oh, right. Yeah, so every record is... Usually, yeah, you know, you do the beds, the drums, bass, guitars or whatever, and then sort of sort of, I've had to just treat it like vocals over the years because there's, there's been some occasions where I would try play and put the amp in another room and we still try it, but, yeah. like, it always seems to just bleed into some, some way. Do you record it through an amp? Yeah, yeah, sometimes through an amp or it depends on what's going on depends on if we're in a rush or you know what kind of vibe it is if you're not sure just do it through a normal mic set up just yeah. into the preamp and put effects on later but when I'm doing blues harp and stuff I like to just get through an amp and get the tone as good as I can like amp distortion yeah yeah depends I feel like I've still never been able to nail my favorite tone my dad has heaps of mm. really sick old vintage amps that are pretty hard to borrow oh, cool. off him but hopefully one day he'll let me <laughs> use some when we start going back down that road but for the last few records we haven't I've, it hasn't really been that bluesy anymore there hasn't been a huge amount of harmonica like there is but um it's totally different to how it was when we were first starting out in king gizzard do you play a lot of keys um, yeah, so play a lot of keys. So that was always the thing. I was like just playing harmonica all the time and then it would start being keys parts on the songs. And then, yeah. um, yeah, I just, Stu would just show me how to play them and then I would just learn them pretty much. So I'm, I'm still very far behind on keyboard world, but I've managed to <laughs> pick up a few things over the years and a few, you know, learn it a little bit to like use it as a writing tool, which has been really cool. You never learnt piano or anything? No, not really. Like a, a little bit when I was a kid, like same with guitar and stuff as well. But um, I think I've always just been the voice or harmonica sort of tool in the band. Um, and then once the keyboards and stuff come into play, it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, I'll play that or, you know, otherwise I'll just be playing percussion or whatever else. So yeah, um, yeah. It, it always changes though. I think, um, yeah, I'm always trying to like, you know, get my chops up, but then I find myself always just 
spending more time writing and getting distracted yeah. with other things. And everyone in both bands are just so capable of churning out tunes all the time that it's sort of I find myself just end up doing vocal things or harmonica things or little keys parts if I can. Um, yeah, it all depends, but it's such a quick uh, pacing environment. So, you know, you just sort of, you got to, everyone's sort of got their, their qualities, you know. It must be like almost a little bit competitive in terms of like, I want to, I want to write a really great song. So, cause everyone else is writing really great songs. Yeah. I think a lot of the time it's like that. And then it's sort of like ongoing jokes in Gizzard and stuff. Like if a song lately has been lacking, I'll get drawn into write a verse or do something um, yeah. lyrically and stuff. So yeah, I've, I feel like that's where I'm probably at my strongest is lyrics and melody and singing and stuff. Um, I like, yeah, uh, with this record though, the Bittersweet Demons one, it's probably the most I've wrote musically um, for anything. It's so good. I was so excited. Like Bittersweet Demons is such a great song and I feel like I instantly, when I was, the first thing I noticed about it was like obviously that like your voice is incredible in it, but I immediately started thinking about like XTC or like Sparks and I immediately noticed the bass line. It's way less like garage rocky than some of the other stuff of yours that I've heard. Yeah, it's definitely us just growing up a bit. Um, yeah, I wanted to do a really heavy record this time, but we oh, we you? had a couple <laughs> songs left over from the Manic Canada episode, um, which is on this record, which is uh, Illuminate the Shade and Skyrocket. And I was like, oh, yeah, they were seem too rocky for like Manic Candace. I'm like, oh, let's leave those aside and we'll put it towards a heavy record. And then by the time it came around to doing the next record, I was just writing songs on piano and stuff. So I was like, oh, no, I want to go down this way because I was listening to a lot of That's Alton awesome. John and Lennon and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to do a real soppy personal one. <laughs> That's perfect. My favourite thing about uh, people writing on piano who don't really know how to play piano just come up with like way different ideas to people that really know how to play the piano because you're just yeah. like feeling feeling your way around the instrument and almost like surprising yourself when you move your fingers you're like oh fuck that sounds yeah yeah not at all like what I expected that was gonna sound like <laughs> yeah for sure the guy's always just like oh that's a weird chord change um, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, sweet. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, I guess that's cool. And then they'll like play something over it, or they'll just you know tell me to drop the fifth, or I don't know. It always just yeah, it alternates. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I, I, I think find that's it's a, really cool. Yeah, I, I I sort of am just drawn to that. I hate um being so. I don't know. I guess everything I sort of done life with music or like skateboarding or anything else, I was just sort of just a natural gut feeling thing. Um, I like to kind of just see what comes out of me rather than yeah. getting all techie about it. That's I think that's the best way to go. Mm. But when you say that you um that you have a strength in writing lyrics, do you find that they just like come to you or do you like really think about origins and like grabbed concepts out of books or like where it seems really silly to ask, like, where do your ideas come from? Because they're ideas, but... Oh, no, they're always different. How do you ap- approach writing lyrics? Um, I guess I like a lot of hip-hop and stuff, so I like rhyming probably too much. Um, but I like finding rhymes that are, like, not quite rhymes and just saying words differently that aren't even pronounced right. 
like even on eating at you, I for months later I'd realized that the first line I'm saying facetious instead of facetious and stuff yeah. like that. I'm just like, oh god, I'm turning into like little Wayne or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's great. But yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it always comes from different things. Sometimes it'll be like I sort of just write stream of consciousness or like. Uh, you know, just if I hear words, I'll write them down that are cool in my phone or whatever and just keep notes and then I sort of have like a big weird puzzle of of words and stuff and then I'll write something and then if I get stuck and I think it's a bit too basic or whatever, I'll go and pick apart a few bits from yeah from that pile or whatever, yeah. What kind of hip-hop do you like listening to? I don't know. It's always sort of goes back to like, Jizzer and Method Man and Wu-Tang stuff, but then also it always sort of changes and it's always pretty 90s hip-hop or like early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Mine always goes back to Cool Keith. Oh, yeah, like sick. Yeah, Dr. He's Octagon. the greatest. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that stuff's awesome. That's such a great record. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Octogynecologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I feel like you're a le- maybe, I don't know, there's like such a big conversation around like women liking sexist hip or even men, anyone. Yeah, I don't really hip-hop. like a lot of that real aggressive sexist um, no. stuff. It just I just like stuff that's like, I don't know, just cool different ways of rhyming and writing and same. Depicting stories. I like a lot of more evil kind of dark hip hop. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, more like murderous than like sexist or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. Yeah. And not murdering women, just yeah, murdering yeah. anyone. Yeah. Like yeah, an yeah. undescript human being. Yeah. Yeah. More <laughs> fantasy or something. Can I go back to like you as a little kid? Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a moment where you were like, I wanna do what they're doing or like I wanna be a musician? What were your what were you influenced by when you were little? Uh, well, my dad's a muso and has been since he was a kid. So I think it was just that classic, like, wanting to f- follow in dad's footsteps sort of thing. And um, What does your dad do? Uh, he's a singer mainly. Um, he's had heaps of bands throughout the 70s and up until now. But, yeah, um, yeah, he's, uh, yeah he's been doing it forever and I think like seeing my parents split when I was younger I was like this is how I'm gonna save their relationship I'm gonna like start doing music and like bring it all together um but it was also just a way to like have a you know connection and something to relate to and I was just it was just ingrained in me as well you know like my sister's first word was Bo Diddley and like (laughs) I like went to sleep every night religiously listening to like Muddy Waters and stuff so yeah, I think that's, that's so why. Yeah, and he played a harmonica, obviously, as well. So I think Aww. all those, all those things are just undertones. So your first inspirations were like blues, mm-hmm. big blues artists. Yeah, straight up, just all that stuff. Blues Brothers was like my religion. Oh, that's so like great. Every, all that stuff was just yeah, completely and utterly obsessed from the get go. Amazing. So is that what you wanted to do? You wanted to play blues? Um. You know, I guess like any kid, you you don't really know what you want to do, but you like have fantasies of doing those things. But I think because yeah. I was just doing it and around it for so long and, you know, then once, you know, you start to get into your teens and you start going back to it again and doing it properly or, or not just, just having fun and like playing in bands at school 
and like yeah. out of school, going being able to go to the pub underage because you're there playing a gig <laughs> and you know yes. stuff like that. It was just all exciting and just you know so different to then going back to school life. And um, I think that totally. came hand in hand with like growing up skateboarding as well. Always just hanging out with older people and yeah good and bad influences and yeah I mean that's a real community isn't it like I always mm-hmm. think that about music half of the reason why I love music and love playing music so much is the community and the support and the friendships that you get and I bet it's the same with skating where you just yeah it's the same and you get so much out of it like so much music has come from skateboarding like so many things I was privy to at a young age that I should, probably shouldn't have been to you know you know I remember yeah. the, like you bring your first your song to school in grade five and I brought like the Pixies when everyone else is bringing like Spice Girls and stuff. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> it was always pretty all over the shop. But um, I did the same thing but with Tom Waits. Oh, that, that's even everyone more. Everyone was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that's really bizarre. That would have thrown everyone off. Okay, so you're, so you're little, you wanted to... Um, you wanted to play the blues. Did you learn guitar or was it just like harmonica and singing? Um, yeah, I learned like basics on guitar and stuff and I started trying to like write little funny songs. And Do you remember your first song? Uh, I did like a EP thing when I was like eight or nine. It's so cringy. It was pretty oh, funny. It was like what was s- it? seven songs that just like, I don't know, just <laughs> felt... <laughs> like love that wasn't there and <laughs> do you remember any other song titles oh yeah it was like at school was one and the, the hook was at school <laughs> act cool um <laughs> there was another one boom boom bang because i was obsessed with john lee hooker um yep. other ones called was it about sex <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know what probably sex was at that point. Um, yeah, um, my favourite line was um, on one song. I think it was called Shake Rag or something. I took it from some documentary I watched on Alvis going to like, I don't know, I, don't, I can't even remember. And the, my favourite line was, she left me with the kids, she left me drunk in the fridge. <laughs> that was really good. So, yeah, I think I peaked at like <laughs> nine or whatever. <laughs> You could recycle that. Yeah, I might you know. bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it'll make sense in my like solo album <laughs> when I'm in my forties and stuff or something. Um, well that's really cute. So you made an EP and then what happened? What did you do after that? Um, played a bunch of weird shows, busking a lot. Um I really? supported Paul Kelly at one point, which was pretty did wild. You? I can barely remember it. How old were you? Oh yeah, I was like nine or something. Oh, my I God. Know. I don't That's know. So, so cute. <laughs> Yeah. It was like dress up like Blues Brothers, like in a suit and a hat and stuff. It was so funny. Sunglasses? Um, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I played Queensland Music Festival when I was like 10 or something and then that was when I wow. moved down that way, that way to Ocean Grove. But by that point I was just not interested. I was like wanted to be a professional skater and I was like really into yeah. that. And I was just playing harmonica with random people and stuff here and there. But then I had a, my good friend, my best friend in high, um, in primary school and high school, Sam Cooper. We started a band from the get-go pretty much from like grade five or six. And then 
we had that like throughout all of high school and that was just our like rhythm and blues band where we would play the like chicken shop in Ocean Grove every weekend and <laughs> heaps of random gigs and yeah so I had that always as I was trying to do the skating thing yeah um, but yeah I guess by the time I was like finishing high school I started the Murlocs and then I joined Kingis and then school finished and I just kept doing them. So you joined Kingis like while you were still in high school? Uh, yeah, I was like going through VCE and flunking hardcore Whoa. because I was just playing oh, no. gigs every weekend and yeah. <laughs> getting wasted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have a similar experience except mine was like because I started playing in bands when I was about 16, mm-hmm. 17. Yeah. And I had the same thing. I got to go to pubs and drink beer mm. when no, but you know, none of my other friends could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, on tour while I was in high school. <laughs> but yeah, I just ended up deferring uni. Like I started uni, and then I was like, I got to an offer to tour with Supergrass, and I was like, I think I'll go on tour with Supergrass instead of awesome. finishing my <laughs> exams. That's sick. <laughs> And then I just never went back. That's cool. That would have been peak Supergrass era. I saw the singer in a um, hotel breakfast once. <laughs> Did you? Gaz? Yeah. I was obsessed with Supergrass and then I got to tour with them and I, I didn't really know how to how to be. <laughs> really talky. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Have you ever been like, have you ever been super starstruck? Uh, yeah, for sure. But I think just because of, yeah, again, like grown up around so much stuff that by the mm. I don't know I think yeah I've definitely been starstruck for sure but I just freeze up I don't know I just look the other yeah. way and don't, like I've, ne- I've never fanned out touch wood so yeah I have some friends that I've seen that have just completely lost their minds over some people and yeah. it's really embarrassing yeah and you like bring them <laughs> backstage and it's like all right keep it cool and then the next oh, minute man. they're just like slobbering over someone oh it's so bad isn't it and you kind of you feel responsible for them but they're their own person Mm, yeah for sure yeah no i don't know (laughs) i think the probably the one of the biggest ones i can remember is like seeing david byrne backstage like walking out of our room and he was like two feet away from me in this hallway just we just stared at each other (laughs) <laughs> I was just like, oh, da, da, da. la 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 la. What's that over there? <laughs> That's so. He was like funny. rallying up his thirty-piece band or whatever. Oh my god, I would have freaked out. I fucking <laughs> love David Byrne. Yeah. So, can you tell me a little bit more about like as you were joining Giz, also like having your own band? Did you start writing songs with King Giz straight away, or was it sort of a process of just playing with them live and then starting to write stuff later um yeah i guess like again for years or for the first few years or whatever it was mainly oh it's a few like song ideas with murlocs and stuff i would come up with on guitar but i always just left the licks and all the best riffs to the guitarist murlocs because he's just a gun um yeah but yeah with Gizzard, it was, I think I, I wrote lyrics for Cutthroat Boogie, which is on 12 Bar Brews, which is like our first album. Um, mm. So I, I sang that one. And then, you know, over the years, there's like a few here and there. So it was, I sort of always had Murlocs as more as my outlet to get all that out of my system. And then in Gizzard, I was just, you know, just keeping up with the pace and um, going along through it. But I think now since we did Bittersweet Demons and stuff and I've been... Yeah, I've been able to sink my teeth in a lot more with Gizzard in the last year or two, I reckon, more so than ever, just because I've just been 
wanting to for a while to try and contribute as much as I can. Um, yeah. So, so what have you been doing? Uh, I don't know. I guess on like the LW, our last album with Gizzard was probably the first one I like wrote, you know, music for and stuff and lyrics like Supreme Ascendancy, which is one of my tracks. But um, yeah, I'll sort of just have ideas and bits and pieces and then we'll just work on it with um, Stu and we'll arrange it together. And, you know, I'm sort of just lucky enough that I'm surrounded by all some good friends that can bring all my bits and pieces together and make them a lot better than they've originally sound, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little community of geniuses. Bring it to life for me. Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel like all flightless bands are like... A little community of friends. Yeah, we've all done a lot together throughout all of yeah. our stuff. Well, all but like some like Zach and all those and Daff and um, Harmer, like Jamie Harmer and all used to play in the Murlocs and we all like grew up in Geelong together. Like all us, all us guys kind of like all grew up playing in each other's bands until like, you know, and even when Gizzard started, it continued with everyone else doing whatever they were doing. So, yeah. yeah, it's always been a, a big sort of big family of different bands, that's for sure. That feels like a really lucky position to be in. I feel a similar way with um, being on a label called Rice is Nice. <laughs> Everyone on Rice is Nice is pretty much friends and, you know, people play on each other's projects and yeah, it cool. just seems like such an important, lovely thing. Yeah, and from yeah. an outsider's perspective, Flightless also seems like, yeah, it's its own little... It's own little hub. Yeah, I think we've all been friends even before Flightless started and, like, you know, even before, you know, Gizzard or anything took off. So it was That's like so we nice. kind of all just hang out when we're not, like, playing gigs together and stuff anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, as you, as you get older and you, you tour and you go along and you miss out on things and lose yeah. contact with friends and stuff, we were all pretty lucky to have a a decent sized community to fall back on. Totally. You know how each other feel. Yeah, yeah. We can all relate to each other. (laughs) Yeah. I always wanted to start like a little, like a support group for people that have just come (laughs) home from tour. Like come off a long tour. (laughs) Just to like, just to go, I know what it's like and it'll get better. You know, just like a post-tour depression lasts for Mm. a short amount of time and then you'll have something else to look forward to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be nice to just have like a little bit of counselling at the end of a long tour. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Surprised it doesn't really exist. It's probably a bit... Maybe you and I can start this business. Yeah, just for the real train wrecks. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me about this new record. So it's coming out on the 25th of June. Mm -hmm. Where are you at with, I've been enjoying asking my guests this lately. Um, Where are you at in the like spiral of releasing something? Because I feel like it's almost like the stages of grief. Like sometimes you feel amazing about it. Other times you just like denial, you know, depression. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's all starting to set in. <laughs> I don't know. We've got, we got another single to drop. We're putting out a live stream of the Brunswick Ballroom shows we did two weeks ago before oh, lockdown. Great. So that that's good. I'm looking forward to dropping that. And that comes out, yeah, when the album comes out on the 25th. And then we've awesome. got one more single. And then I just hope we can play some shows to, you know, yeah. get it going. Because it's one thing putting out music and all that stuff and seeing where it lands, but it's there's nothing better than just getting out there and playing it and, you know, 
yeah. reaching the wider audience that it deserves. Yeah. So have you had to cancel shows? Um, you know, it's sort of just on the on the tip of that, I guess, at the moment. Yeah. It's all sort of just Bama. Yeah, in limbo. Fingers crossed they get to happen. Yeah, yeah, and if not, you know, it just gets pushed back and rearranged. But, yeah. you know, I guess it's, it's like, you know, get pushed back and then it gets harder because there's all this catching up yeah. that gives it to do as well and everything else. But, you know, that's just the nature of it. It's it's like whatever, maybe this these couple of years will, records will fall into the abyss but they'll be resurrected when we can play them again and... There'll be That's right. m- better ones and more more stuff to come, you know. Yeah. Well, I saw you've got like a bunch of King Gizzard shows coming up mm-hmm. like next year or even like I saw some, you know, some pretty severe forward planning. Um, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> lots of that going on. I don't even, I just say, I'm just the yes man. I just, yeah. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's always like, oh, I don't ever want to go away for that long and do this and that. I'm like, oh, I've always just been like, let's just go, let's just do it. Um, you know, I I love touring and stuff. I don't, I like kind of pushing myself mentally and physically, and you know, and you know, I guess it's just at the end of the day, I've I've had shit dead end jobs. I don't want to go back to mm. packing boxes in a warehouse. Like, I'll, yeah, you know, I'll do it to the bitter end. So, but do you have to rely on the income of? Of shows and has that been really yeah, hard yeah, in the sure. last year? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's another uh, big fact of it all as well. Yeah. It's just yeah, seeing the the income drop from not playing live shows because you know we obviously live in a world where that's your main sort of income. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. So that and advertising sinks. Yeah, which has <laughs> just never been in our in our radius. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And when they do come, it's just the most inconvenient or like unidealistic ones (laughs) yeah i know i remember like my first band once got offered a subway ad and we Mm -hmm. all just went no (laughs) we're not doing subway ad but i mean i feel like now maybe i would i don't know it's hard to say it felt really wrong at the time yeah i'd rather not (laughs) go into that myself (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah you know at the end of the day i was you know you, you're not doing it for those reasons. So, you no, know, that's if you right. wanted to go down that path, you might as well just throw on the town now and start writing jingles every day. That's it, yeah. So. But you've got to live. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's just fucked. I've had so many, like, friends struggle in the last year because I haven't been able to go on tour. Yeah, And especially sure. bands like King Gears that are, like, tour all the time. Like, I imagine that would have mm. been such a shock to the system. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been a huge shock for sure. Um, I'm definitely the most stressed out one of the group. Oh, yeah. They're always just Aww. keeping real positive and <laughs> telling me it's going to be all right. So. Are you a stresser <laughs> in God. general? Yeah, for sure. I definitely oh, no. like to think of all the worst outcomes before the best ones, I guess. Oh, no. That's not <laughs> good. Know. Yeah, it's not good, but it's also just good to be grounded with reality sometimes, you know. You gotta, yeah. you gotta think and consider everything. Prepare um, for the worst. Prepare for the worst, but also, you know, just prepare yourself to avoid the worst before it can happen. You know, that's classic words of a, a paranoid. <laughs> 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 I know, but it, I mean, does that translate then into like releasing music? Do you get worried about releasing music? Yeah, 
uh, not so much about releasing music. I get worried about just being, you know, um, being relevant, I guess. Yeah. I think biggest fear is just waking up one day and realizing that your music sucks now and that like oh, no. you got, <laughs> you know, your integrity's kind of diminished or whatever. But that's but you're only playing for yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I know myself when like something, you know, things were better before, you know. But I right. feel like it's it, you know, things are still getting better, so hopefully that day never comes. Yeah, totally. I mean, just, you know, I've listened to like the, the last three albums just today and between like the last three, it it's huge. Like the, you know, I just feel like the experimentation and the um like even the like melodic elements, I just feel like you've come such a, a long way already. And that's just in like a few years, you know, imagine how much better you're going to get after this. Yeah, that's it. No, it's definitely heaps of more exciting things that we're working on, which I can't yeah. wait to put out and yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, I reckon you can't, you can't be too hard on yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's it. But you also need to be your, your biggest critic I think, or else you just, yeah, it's, I think it's hard, especially when you're like, it's hard. I get weird about showing music to people, mm. um, you know, friends and stuff. They always just prop you up and say it's great and this and that. Yeah. Um, I feel like my, my girlfriend Tess is probably the best for that. I always just show her things and she'll just be brutally honest, which is good. <laughs> well, that's what you need. You need yeah, that. Yeah, my husband's yeah. like that too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I think there's something to be said for playing it to people that are going to be positive, just to like fill your glass a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you have like, apart from your girlfriend, do you have other people in your life that you play stuff to that you have like a, a good working relationship with? Like someone who's going to tell you the truth or give you like a yeah. critical ear? Oh, I think like everyone in Gizzard is really good at that. Just being pretty mm. honest, but also really supportive and just being like, you know, if... If something's not quite hitting the mark, we'll just be like, oh, you know, that's not quite it. But, you know, it's, 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 you know, sort of at that point now, it's like, I'll try and do something for days on end and then, you know, or weeks, months or whatever. Mm. And it just won't get, none of it will get used or whatever. But, you, yeah. you know, as long as you're just still throwing shit at the wall until it sticks, I think that's the only totally. way you can do it. I think it's the worst is when you just like beat yourself up about something, you know, that's, it's just not worth it. Because yeah. ultimately, you know, you you find the right way in the end, and you you got to let things go and move on. Do you think that you guys have like, instead of uh, being workaholics in terms of lots of and lots of gigs all the time, do you think all of you have turned into workaholics at home, trying to write songs and trying to keep busy? Yeah, for sure. I guess sometimes I get worried about forcing things, but yeah, um, yeah. I guess it's just you just keep keep doing it keep the wheels moving do you do it every day yeah do it every day just try and treat it as a, a job you know a job that's the best job in the world so yeah you know it could be doing so many other mundane things so i can't complain yeah right well that's cool that you like make yourself do it every day do you ever actually do you ever make yourself or do you always want to Oh, I always want to, for sure. Yeah, hell yeah. Do you ever like sit down and, and just go, nothing's happening today? Yeah, sometimes. Or I'll just like, if nothing's happening, I'll just I'll just play and muck around, you know, and I feel like you're, you're still getting something out of that, you know. 
you, if totally. you're not, if some song's just making you bash your head against the wall and just just leave yeah. it, come back to it. Practice bending your harp. Yeah, so yeah. you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I still probably don't. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I want to ask you my last question, which is the question that I ask everybody. Yeah. Um, what is your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music? Oh, yeah, let's been rack my brain about this. <laughs> um, I'm sure you've got a lot. Yeah, there's lots and it's hard to depict one that really stands out. But I think the one that's always just easiest go-to is probably when we played in Visalia in uh, California in like 2015 or something. Um, was that King, King Giz or Mal- and, and both. We were both there. Oh, wow. Well, and um, yeah. Bill Clinton walked past out the front. <laughs> And ever, literally everyone in the whole venue just jumped out of their seat and bolted out the front door. And we all just started mobbing him. And I remember like um, Maladin, who was playing guitar in the band at the time, went up to Bill Clinton and Maladin said, you represent everything that is evil in the world and I don't love you. Whoa. <laughs> and his face Hardcore. just completely went blank and... Just so stunned. <laughs> and then the, I love that he didn't say I hate you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was worse than that almost. But it was really funny. But yeah, then he like but I didn't no one heard, he just like kind of whispered it to him, you know, when he shook um when Martin shook his hand. Um and then the security were looking at me like, get your hands out of your pocket, son. <laughs> I was oh. like, oh God, what's going on? On. So, Whoa. yeah, that whole interaction was <laughs> really, really bizarre. Good. That's definitely the strangest <laughs> thing. And he just looked like a straight-up wax doll. He just didn't look real. Whoa. He was just real robot and like, hello. That's, Very <laughs> cool. That's amazing that, that his security let people come up to him. Well, yeah, I think people we were all just mobbing and it was very quick, but he was shaking <laughs> hands and, yeah. Right. So you didn't get to say anything to him? Oh, uh, I, I was just... I don't know. I, I can't even remember what I said. I probably just mumbled a bunch of gibberish. You're probably like, you fuck. Yeah, yeah. I froze. <laughs> Maladin really. <laughs> he brought it home. Yeah, nailed that one. <laughs> that is really good. That's a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice to talk to you. Yeah, nice chat too.